Uh, we're one day closer to a pretty important football game all of a sudden in the city of Philadelphia. Eagles taking on the Giants. It's one of my favorite week, weeks. I love Eagles-Giants week. I don't know if I like the Eagles-Giants Thursday night because I don't get the full week of getting ready for an Eagle-Giant game, but that's what we have for you, getting you ready for the Eagles and Giants. You know, uh, the Eagles just made a uh, roster move. Uh, Doug Peterson made a bunch of roster announcements earlier today. We'll get you up to date on it. I'm Mike Gill. At Mike Gill Show on Twitter, Hunter Brody, at Broads81. Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there as we get you ready for a Wednesday show. Jay Fitz going to join us at 3. The Professor John Clayton, he's back at 3.30 today. Jeff Mosher going to do a little football at 4. Find five, ugly five. Five best, five worst teams. Eagles just announced right before we came on, right guard Jamon Brown. He out of here. He got cut. And a lot of other roster uh Announcements today, bros, including the return of Deshaun Jackson. It looks like that's official. And some really good news. Lane Johnson looks like he's going to play. And when Lane Johnson plays, you know what that means. Victory! Yep. I thought Brown had some potential. It's a shame. Yep. He did. <laughs> Could have been a somebody, kid. Yeah. He was horrendous. He was horrendous. Could have been a contender. Now, with Lane Johnson... I guess my biggest fear is I love the fact that he's going to push it and try and play, but what ends up happening if he's got to take a couple plays off and then you you see him get carted off in the third quarter? You know, like well, I, uh, you never know with with what's going on with him. Uh, he did address that today. Uh, you know, whether or not you know they think that's a problem. He said, "Well, we sat him out all last week, hoping you know, so he's been out for over fourteen day or ten days now, and they're hoping because he did not play at all last week that that should." not be a problem. He said, don't quote me on that. That's what Doug said today. Don't quote me on that. But we feel like playing him last week should have him able to be able to play. Hey, look, with this season and things that have happened, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I get the concept is he didn't play at all last week. So hopefully a week off that ankle should help it out and he could play. Now, uh, I don't know, you know, if Jack Driscoll was ready to play would they have kept Lane Johnson out another week and gone with Driscoll? They seem to like Driscoll. He's done a nice job, I think, anyway. And would they have said if Driscoll was ready to play, but since we got no other option other than Driscoll, we now know Jamon Brown is out of the running to play right guard tomorrow night. Um, does Lane Johnson not play if Driscoll's prepared to go? That's that would be a, that would be what I would be wondering in my head. Absolutely. That's a very interesting question, and I wonder... Astute. Ooh. Ooh. I was thinking maybe Driscoll would play right guard, and then Lane Johnson would play right tackle, if that was the case, instead of just Has not Driscoll playing... Driscoll played right guard? I don't know. Well, what's your option right now? That's the biggest question. No, I know he played in... But this year, he's been kind of... Did he play right guard the one game when Johnson came back? They moved Herbig over. Did he play right guard in that game or not? So much line movement. I know. No, I think what they're going to do... My, my, And we'll talk to Mosher today at Football 4. This is what I think they'll do. Sue Opeta will play left guard. Herbig will play right guard. Lane Johnson will play there. Now, there was a guard that was released today. A starting offensive lineman just released from the... Um, from the uh, Buffalo Bills, um, and you know, people are already like, "Dude, the Eagles need to call this." I, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm probably on the phone ahead of the Eagles. But I'm interested. I said, "Can he play on Thursday night, right guard? Can he get it right in and teach him a couple of like?" That's the problem. I don't, you know. Was there I, a reason why he was cut though? You know, I've been trying to find that out. Like, did he get into a fight? Did he punch a teammate in the face? But the Eagles did tweet this out 18 minutes ago. 
um, that the Eagles have released Jamon Brown. They signed tight end Jason Kroon from the practice squad to the active roster, which kind of tells me that Goddard probably won't play tomorrow night. We know Ertz is not playing. He did announce today that Ertz, Sanders, and Malik Jackson are out for the game. He did say Jackson is likely to play. He did practice. They had a walkthrough today, but he did fully participate in the walkthrough, as did Lane Johnson. He also said Avante Maddox is back, and he will play too. So you're slowly, but Alshon Jeffrey is out for the game, and I just saw that he's also listed as having a calf problem on top of, you know, last week it was the illness and the foot. Now it's a calf problem and the foot. I'm wondering if the Eagles just don't want to play him. Has Fulgham's emergence said, you know what, we don't even want to play him. But how can you look at Fulgham and Alshon Jeffrey and say, yeah, I, I can't make both of these guys work. I mean, shame on them if they are holding Alshon Jeffrey back because they don't want to take away from Fulgham. Like, good coaching staffs would be able to make both of those guys work. Well, no? maybe they don't want him to get re-injured. Maybe they don't want to, you know, there's maybe they want to try to trade him. There, there's something weird happening. And we talked about how that roster spot wasn't that big of a deal. But then I saw that Casey Two-Hill move, and I questioned, what the hell is their philosophy? Now that Alshon's not playing again, you're getting into Week 7, they have butchered this situation, and it costed them a roster spot throughout this point. Yeah, the whole roster spot thing, I get it. People can, you know, conjure up ideas in their head of what they lost. I haven't been able to really come up with a name that's Well, did we not... didn't know who Fogum was. We didn't know who Greg Ward was. So I, I'm not downplaying what you're saying, but we didn't know who a lot of these guys are. Craven LeBlanc, all these guys who are still playing here, we had no clue who they were. I don't know that they would have been game day active, though. Like, just because you're on the roster and those guys, you know, well, Fulgham wasn't on the roster. He wasn't even on the team at that point. When they kept Jeffrey, Fulgham wasn't on the team. He was in Green Bay, I guess. So he wouldn't have been a guy. Maybe, yeah, sure. Was there a guy that got cut? You know, you could have kept Russell Douglas, I guess you could say. You could have kept Sidney Jones if you put this guy, if you put him on the pup list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could have. Yeah. Uh, look, I'm not making it seem like whoever they didn't pick up would have made this team totally different, but it just shows that the lack of awareness with the roster spot, and there were some other moves. There were some people they didn't put on the three-week IR and things backfired there. There were a couple moves so far this season that make you just scratch your head a bit. Now, is that the difference in having four wins or one win? No, probably not. But there is something, Doubtful. yeah, there is something, though, that you should put in that. There's some stock, I feel, that you should put in that of they are not properly utilizing their roster the best way possible. Well, in hindsight, yes. Again, we've gone kind of through that if you had any inclination, 10% shot that Jeffrey could help you out in week four, five, six, and he came to you and said, I'm ready to play, and he was not activated, you would have been hammered on the other side. Why didn't you activate him? Why would you put him on the pup list if he had a shot to play? To me, he was one of your better options. If he had any shot to play in that seven-week span, I probably would have done the same thing as they did. So I'm not going to hammer them on that. Now, in hindsight, you'd say he didn't play in that time frame. What were you doing? You could have put someone else on your roster. Sure, okay. Uh, you can you can say that to me, but I'm going to take the shot that we thought that Jeffrey was one of your five best wide receivers, did we not? Yes and no. I mean, it's hard to expect a lot coming off of the injury at where he is at this point in his career, but I'm not going to crush them either, but I just feel like it is a valuable conversation to have that they butchered this thing, and the fact that Kef 
came up on the injury report. Maybe what happened was, and, and I feel it's a good possibility, when he started practicing and when he started to return, that after these practices, it kicked in a bit. Like He hasn't worked on his foot that much, and now after he's starting to run a lot, yeah. there has been some side effects of using that foot now that he's back on the field. Yeah, and it's it, you know the weird part is like he had that injury in December. And, you know, it took Jalen Mills almost a full calendar year to come back from that thing. Ben Simmons, and, too. Oh, ben Simmons had a Jones fracture. He had a Liz Frank. Oh, that wasn't a Liz Frank? I thought Ben Simmons no, had the Liz he Frank. he had the Jones fracture. Oh, okay. Uh, Alshon had a Liz Frank, which is also what Mills had. Mills took almost a full calendar year to come back from that injury. And, you know, we're way under the year timeline now. I mean, that happened in December last year when he ended up hurting that foot. We're looking at it. Wasn't that in the playoff game or right before the playoff game? Um, somewhere it was later on. It was in December. I, I guess it was in the late in the regular season we ended up getting hurt. By the way, the Bills guard is Quentin Spain, a 29-year-old. He's been a four-year starter for four straight years. He got cut. I don't know why he got cut. Uh, maybe we'll see some things as this day goes on. But, hey, look, uh, they're getting guys back. Deshaun Jackson's going to be back. So now you're going to see Deshaun Jackson, Travis Fulgham. I think that's going to help. It's got to help Fulgham out to have a guy on the other side who can spread the field a little bit. I think that will certainly – I think we're going to get to see what more Fulgham can do. I mean, I think we're about to really find out if this kid – if they uncovered a diamond in the rough here. The one thing that I want to see, and I saw this in the Arizona game against the Dallas Cowboys, there was a pick play that allowed DeAndre Hopkins to get separation maybe five yards down the field. Kyler Murray gave it to him in space, and DeAndre Hopkins just went on a mean run. I want to see, I know Deshaun Jackson's speed is what it's all about, and you get him over the top, and you go for that 50-yard bomb, but I want to see something worked around with some of these guys maybe getting the ball five yards from the line of scrimmage and let them work with space. I want to see some of that. Deshaun Jackson's speed is unbelievable. I saw DeAndre Hopkins do that, and instantly my brain went to, when was the last time I saw something like that happen with one of the speed guys with the Eagles? I want to utilize something like that this week. I want to see a lot of situations. Now, he was asked today how much he, – he was asked, like, if Deshaun Jackson is – I didn't understand the question of, of why it was being asked in this realm, I guess. The question was, and once the transcript comes out, I'll be able to get the exact question, but it was along the lines of, will Deshaun Jackson take snaps away from Fulgham? And I'm thinking – why the hell would he take any snaps away from Fulgham? I want those guys playing together. You know, I think the optimum offense down the road would be Jackson, Fulgham as your outside guys, and maybe Rieger being your slot guy. And then you have Greg Ward if you go four wides. And Rieger as that speedy guy in the slot who can, you know, cause havoc, catch the ball underneath, do some stuff in that spot. Jackson, who can boom down the field. And then Fulgham is your big physical guy who can basically fill that role that Alshon Jeffrey had a couple of years ago. The the third and sevens, you know, the jump balls, uh, the 50-50 balls. And then, you know, when Goddard is back, and that sounds like it could be maybe this week, more likely next week against Dallas. And then... You have a full complement of guys playing the positions they should be playing. Like, to me, that is the best-case scenario going forward here. Then you can run a couple of play actions. Now, you don't have Miles Sanders, so I don't know how much the play action is going to work this week. That's one problem. But if you have Miles Sanders back there, 
You can run a couple play actions and take two to three shots a game with Deshaun Jackson running down the field. Take two or three shots a game with Rieger running down the field. You know what I mean? Like It all starts to fall into place that now you can have a much more setting, setting up type of offense instead of just, let's just wing it because we can't set anything up because we have no run game. So we'll take a cut. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's no rhyme or reason in the play calling because they don't really have the right guys out there. We talk a lot about the roster construction, and a lot of people like to target the linebackers and all, but with this run game, I know a lot before the season started. We would talk about a Carlos Hyde. We would talk about a Freeman, who's ironically on the New York Giants now, and we looked at Miles Sanders as this three-down back, and I love his skill set. I'm not trying to take anything away from it, but when we talk about the roster construction, I think they really did fail that running back core, it's just flat out not good enough. Corey Clement has nothing left in the tank. Boston Scott, I think our expectations were too high. And Miles Sanders, while I, I love his energy, and clearly he has that breakaway speed that you're seeing, and the stats will tell you that he's up there with the top of the league right now, but he he gets tired. He gets fatigued. He's out of shape. Like When it comes down to the three-down back territory, when you need him in the second half, he hasn't really been able to do that yet this year, and I, I feel when it comes back to the roster construction conversation, it's very valid to think about what they went into the season with at the running back spot. True. I mean, Clement, he was the guy his rookie year that you get you, you kind of gave him a pretty big role in the fourth quarter of games. You were like, dude, you got an undrafted rookie free agent back there, and he's grinding out late-game situations. He has not been able to really fill that role this year. And I talked about this yesterday. You've got Huntley, Killens, and Boston Scott, who are all essentially similar guys, like third-down scat-back guys who were best equipped to catch the ball out of the backfield. And I think Scott has been... You know, I don't know that they've used him the best that they could, but I think he's been a little bit of a disappointment in terms of even when he's got his opportunity. How many balls has he caught this year? You know, like that's what you want. You, that's set him up on some screens. That set him up on some delays, like that kind of stuff. I just don't think they've done a good job of incorporating him into the offense. That's fair, and and I just wonder. You know, I'm not saying that. He's bad by any means, but did we overvalue him based off of a couple handful of games that we saw last year? They went into this season saying we're not spending X amount at the running back position on a veteran guy, and I think that definitely handcuffed them. And then that can go into the conversation of, you know, they work around the salary cap all the time, but there are some little things here and there that they do have to give up on, and that running back position, I feel, is something that they did have to give up on based off the fact of where they are with their current salary cap issues. Well, they did make a little bit of a move today to fix that salary cap issue. They restructured the deal for Fletcher Cox, which means uh, he's going to get a uh, bonus this year instead of a salary this year. So that's going to help their uh, 2021 caps or something to that effect. I mean, uh, you know, I, they're already starting to try to figure th things out here. And I wouldn't be surprised if something else they try to do is either trade Alshon Jeffrey, try to trade Zach Ertz, and move those two numbers off the book as, uh, as this season kind of goes on here. Because he was asked about putting Ertz on the pup list, and he said, or the injured reserve list today, and he said, no, that's not something we're ready to do. I don't think they want him on that injured list if they're going to try to trade him. With Alshon, I just don't know how much value he has around the league with that much money with the injury history, right? I mean, it's not a good look now, too, that he can't get on the field yet. They had promised that he would get on the field, and now he's not, and now it's going past the six-week mark. I don't know. I would never in a million years with the cap hit that's on Alshon Jeffrey 
I would never make a trade for him if I'm another team. No, I don't think anybody. I mean, obviously, you know, the armchair GMs out there are always like, just trade him. It's like, well, you need two to tango. Somebody else has to want him. I bet you, you know, the Eagles would take a seventh round pick for him at this point. Does somebody want to take him on for seventh round pick? I don't know. It would have to be a team likely that thinks they're in the playoff chase and has a problem at wide an injury issue at wide receiver. I, I don't But they're gonna pick up another injured wide receiver. Well but I think that's one of the reasons why the Eagles don't want to play him. I don't I think they don't want to show that either A, the foot's a problem, or B, put him out there with the opportunity that he could re injure himself. So it's almost like let's just not play him, see if we can get someone to call us, and if we can't, then we'll play him. You know what I mean? But then you probably then at that point, if that was your philosophy, you're probably asking the question, why would you activate him if you had no intentions of playing him? So that that is kind of a mixed message right there. They do have some weird stuff happening right now with this Alshon thing. I don't ever want to speculate this, but I feel everything should be on the table. Does Alshon Jeffrey want to play? Does he want to play? Where is he right now? You know, like, is he chomping at the bits to want to get back there? Is he satisfied with just collecting that paycheck going, look, I'm banged up. I'm not really feeling it this year. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to speculate that that's how he feels, but there is something really odd happening with this Alshon thing. And I don't know if we're ever going to find out the answer. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people tweeting out that, uh, hey, Alshon, you want to play this week? And he's like, uh, they're putting memes up of him like, nah, not this week. Yeah, you like know? he's a thief with the ski mask on, just stealing the Eagles' money kind of thing. Yeah. I, I Look, this whole thing with Alshon has totally been because of the reports last year. Does he, you know, him and Wentz and the locker room stuff. Who knows what he's going through? He might say the writing's on the wall here. I don't want to be here. I'm not going to lay it out. But his contract goes through next year. That's why if it was just this year, I can probably say, yeah, maybe he doesn't want to go out there and risk anything. But he has a deal through next year now. He might say, well, they're just going to cut me anyway. Well, I was thinking, well, that's some dead cat money involved when you do that. I was thinking maybe are they going down the road of, okay, look, we made a mistake with the whole pup listing. Let Let's have you relax for this whole entire year. Next year, you got one year left on it. We'll attack the season then, and we can have you fully healthy for a full season next year. Let's not worry about this year. I think we'll find out more after the what's the trade deadline. Is the trade deadline November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, somewhere in that range? Like It's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. I think if you're going to start hearing his name, we know they tried trading him in the offseason. They were really, remember, there were some reports, the 3rd. So it's... Uh, what's that, the election day? Elect is, is the third or the fourth election day? I don't know. I already mailed my ballot in, so I'm the election's out of my mind at this point. I think the election is the third, isn't it? Is it the third or the fourth? If there's a commercial on every five minutes. You should probably know. Where do you think the ratings are going to go that day? What's going to have the higher ratings? Adam Schefter? The election on- is the third. That's a Tuesday, right? So that's the day. That Adam Schefter on ESPN right. breaking down NFL the trades? trade deadline versus the election. <laughs> yeah, who do you think wins that one? That's a good one. Um, so on the third, once between now and the third, I think you're going to start to hear. It. And remember, it was like, oh, maybe Joe Douglas will take. Uh, now th- there's no way the Jets want anything to do with that contract at this maybe, point. Maybe maybe Adam Gase wants him. Yeah, <laughs> you think Adam Gase makes it to November third? Sure. At this point, I feel he's going to make it through the end of the season. Uh, by the way, a tweet from ESPN. This is kind of funny. I don't. I put no stock in this at all. I just think it's funny. ESPN, the FPI projects the Eagles to win the division 
at six, nine, and one, and gives them a fifty-four percent chance to win the NFC East. Here we go. So I will say this, okay? I did this. This was my conversation on the Daily Drive today. I kind of started, and then somebody fired a question off of me and got me off on a tangent. So if you missed my Daily Drive today, I went off on a little bit of a rant while I was driving into work today. So it's twenty twenty with COVID, and we've been in the house. This is what I've come to. I will not. I will embrace the playoff run. I want, in 2020, this wacky year, I want to see a playoff football game if I can get it. I want the feeling of, like, normalcy and joy and excitement. It's 2020. Whatever goes on this year, 6-9-1 in 2020, that just might be the team that gets it done. You know what? There's been so much bonkers going on in this year. If I can get a playoff game, I've come to terms with, I will take it, embrace it, and enjoy it. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. It kind of blows my mind that there's people out there that wouldn't want it. For what reason? Is it the draft pick? Is that what they value way more than this team and these young guys playing in a playoff game? Whether the atmosphere is the same or it's not the same, I don't care. The pressure is there. The added pressure, knowing it's the playoffs, it means something. Why would you not want a playoff game? Please, tell Well, me. there are that group of people out there, and I get it. Like, I've been on that side, but again, it only pertains to the NBA. Like, on the NBA, if you told me, hey, you're the 8th seed, the 7th seed, the 6th seed, or you could be the worst team in the league. I'll take worst team in the league. If you gave me the options, 6, 7, 8, 14, 15, 16, or whatever, worst team. In the NBA, I'd say, don't be 6, 7, 8, be the worst team. That's a better option. In the NFL, I don't subscribe to that. I don't subscribe to being the worst team, being 3-13, and 13, and trying to get a draft pick. Because well, unless you are in play for a quarterback, there's not a player you're going to draft that's going to completely change your franchise around to the extent that being 3-13 and 13 is helpful. I could be 3-13, and 13, end up with Odell Beckham Jr., and I'm still the Giants. I could be three and thirteen and end up with Shaq, uh, Shaq, uh, uh, Saquon Barkley, and I'm still the Giants. Unless I'm three and thirteen and I get Lawrence or I get some franchise-changing quarterback, being thirteen—that's a waste of a year. The only time that I will agree with that is, let's say it's the last week of the season, and you're right, you don't have a quarterback, and there's teams that are close to your record. It's like, okay, do we want to win that last game of the season, or do we want to lose that last game of the season? Because two-win team or a three-win team doesn't satisfy me any differently, and we need a franchise quarterback for the next year. So heading into that last week or those last two weeks, maybe I do want to lose, but that is totally different because you're not in the conversation of a playoff spot. No one wants it to be this way. Nobody wants the division to be a six-win team. But the reality is, if you have the chance sitting in front of you, I don't know why. We have the franchise quarterback. We have Carson Wentz. We have that guy on the big contract. Well, I think that's why you have the split, though. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with that. So you're going to move on from Wentz and what, Jalen Hurts or draft another Because the thing is, if you're not a Wentz guy, you're probably a Hurts guy, which means you still have your quarterback then. So what are they going to do? Fair to say, but I don't think people think logically all the time. They no. just think, be bad and draft somebody. If you're drafting a guy eight, he's got to be better than the guy at 18. Well, that's just not realistic. But I'm saying that that's the mindset of many people is, hey, if you could be 4-12, and 12, well, you're not going to be 4-11-1, and one, 
be 4-11-1 and get the six pick as opposed to 6-9-1, win the division. But if you win the division, you're not going to get a draft pick in the top because you're going to be included with the playoff teams. Yeah, like this team has flaws, and they have roster flaws, but it's not like they need a third or fourth overall pick to fix those issues. You know? No, I mean, this year they had pick, what, 18, whatever it was. They could have had Justin Jefferson. They got Jalen Rieger. I'm not ready to say he stinks. But if you got Justin Jefferson at that spot, where did they uh, – the Vikings got him, what, at 21? Right. And you let's feel pretty good at 21 This, if you were the 21st pick this year. Yeah, and let's... guess what, by the way, having Justin Jefferson – Hasn't done skedaddle for the Vikings. And, and, let's and by say the way, everything. getting C.D. Lamb hasn't helped out Dallas either. Let's say everything works out perfectly, right? Say say you do get D.K. Metcalf, and then you get Patrick Queen, and then you get... Like, the options at where you drafted, there were plenty of great playmakers that you could have drafted that you just didn't take that year. So, no matter where you are, the reason I bring that up is the choices are available for you. Those playmakers are there. It's just about... Knocking it out of the park in that moment. Sports Pass is brought to you by Recovery Centers of America. Their drug and alcohol addiction treatment centers located in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and in Devon, PA. We got a great show for you. Jay Fitz going to talk a little bit. World Series last night, game one. A little bit of a clunker. But my Mookie Betts plus 1,500 MVP bet looks pretty good. John Clayton joins us at 3.30. Hopefully you'll stick around for all of it today right here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app powered by First Bank of Seattle. Turn it on. Leave it on. All right, it's bottom of the hour, 2.30 in one hour from now. John Clayton joins us. Give us a little insight on what's going on in this league six weeks in. Pretenders, NFC East. Is this the worst division in the history of football? Most likely. I don't know that uh, there's ever been a, has there ever been a six-win division winner. Because I think that's going to be what it does, what, what happens. Someone's going to win six games, and that's going to be enough. The tie, you can count that as seven, really. But the tie is essentially better than a loss. That's a reach. We're trying to justify it. Like, well, if you go six, seven, Winty. If you go six, nine, and one, and someone else is six and ten, you're getting in. Oh, I know, but to convince ourselves that, hey, it's not really a six-win team that wins it, it's a seven-win team. Six-and-a-half-win team. Yeah, we're trying to justify how bad the or how good the division really oh, is but you know, how bad it is. Dude, you know. <laughs> come on. You know, after all the flack they got for punting that ball and not going for it, that tie is going to be the difference. Oh, yeah, but then you can go back to the situation and say it wasn't about – because they would have tied anyway for the most – it was the fact that they didn't give the chance the team to win. Yes, but, you know – People look at it as you embraced a tie. He did a little bit. But the tie in the end could be the difference is, is the point. Which is what I said the day after is you can you can be mad for the messaging. The messaging of we don't trust you, we don't trust you. But his messaging is I don't care about what you guys think out there. That tie in the end in this division might be the difference. Yeah, but see, Isn't that bigger? He didn't say that, though. So if he came out and said that... I feel we would yeah, have but embraced you can't, it differently. You can't, but that's the problem. You cannot. You can also not say we're embracing the tie. So what? He came out and double guessed himself just to f- lie to everybody. I mean, he does lie a lot. Don't get me wrong, but normally he would double guess himself, but he wouldn't say that to the public. He would lie and stand his ground. This was almost the opposite, where he was. He wouldn't lie the opposite way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like. But if he would have just came out and said, "Hey guys, that tie." 
you never know. That could be the difference in us winning the division if we are, you know, at eight wins and someone's at seven or, you know, if we're at nine and they're at eight and, you know, that tie is the big, you know, whatever. If he explained it in a way that, hey, we thought that tie could help us more than it can hurt us. I don't know if he necessarily felt that on the sidelines, though, because as we see, this is now three weeks where the day after he's double guessing himself. So you're right, though. You're not wrong. Your point is very valid. It does help you, and it is something that can be the difference in making the playoffs or not. I just think that fell on his lap more so than that was his game plan with the tie. Oh, most likely. I mean, it's so hard. You're in that moment. It was such a weird situation. Like, when else as a coach would you have ever been in that moment where you're in overtime? And you're in such a weird spot on the field because your guy goes off sides. When else would you have ever gone through that situation? It's really hard to be overly critical. I mean, I know we're like three weeks past that, but looking back on that, you make decisions based on previous and prior experiences. You had never been in that moment in the history of football. That you're in overtime, your guy goes off sides to make you go from a 56-yarder to a 63-yarder or whatever it was. A 65-yarder, I think it was, maybe? So when else would you have played that out? You don't try that. It's not like you're in practice and be like, hey, let's go over our guy getting a penalty in overtime with no time left on the clock to do anything else play. Yeah, but good coaches find ways to think on their toes, and you got to be creative in the moment. But there is a chance it might have happened when he was coaching a little high school football. Did he coach high school football before the NFL? Yeah, but even in high school football, that wouldn't happen because the overtime's different. Oh, that's true. Okay, you're playing Touché. the overtime, right. You're playing, you put the ball in the 25-yard line or whatever it is, and you it's like the college overtime. Yeah. No, I can't think of a scenario that that would ever have happened. But good coaches think on their toes. And that's the one thing that I do criticize Doug for. I think he's got great skill sets, no doubt. But he's not a good thinker on the toes. In the moment thinker, he seems to be struggling this year a bit. Look, I'm not debating that. I'm also, my point is kind of, I can't say, man, what a bozo for that situation because when else would you have ever been in that situation? You're literally, you have, what, 40 seconds to make a decision what we want to do here. We're in overtime. Our guy gets a penalty, which I'm not accounting for. But now, is that their say, job, though? You have to have the foresight to think, what if this guy gets a penalty? What are we going to do? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you always have to think five steps ahead. Now, no if, doubt. If it happens again, which I don't know that it's ever happened before in the history of football, or if it will ever happen again, I mean, I don't know who would be able to go back and look through all the overtime games, how much time was on the clock in that game, and say, huh, on a 50-plus yard attempt, the guy went off sides in overtime? Then what did the coach do? Like, when would you? It's not like a two point chart when you can look at it and be like, okay, we go for two if the guy goes on a five yard penalty and pushes us back. We're out of field goal range and this game is tied. Do we just throw up a Hail Mary here? Do we kick a field goal or do we just punt it? And I got to imagine in his mind, he's saying, you know what? The tie is probably a lot better here than giving them an opportunity because the tie, nine times out of 10, works out as a win. Especially if in a division that you know is going to come down to maybe a game. 
Your, your point is correct. I just don't personally feel that Doug Peterson was thinking that way. I think that this scenario fell on his lap, and now he could say that that was his thought process, but when you come up the next day and you go, you know what I should have done? I should have done this, and it was a totally different answer than what actually happened, that tells me he wasn't thinking that mindset or he would have said it. Now, I'm not saying that Doug Peterson needs to be as savvy as what Mike Vrabel did. But there are coaches out there that think on their toes in such a unique way where that's not the same scenario as what Mike Vrabel did to manipulate the clock without any timeouts. That's next level. But, but that's what good coaches do in this league. I'm not saying Doug needs to do that, but that's the type of savviness that, look, if that scenario that happened to the Eagles happened to Mike Vrabel, I bet you he would have drawn up something a little different than what Doug Peterson went with. Quite possibly. I mean, yeah, I mean, now, Doug would answer if he's listening, I have a Super Bowl, Mike Vrabel doesn't. Touché. So tell Mike Vrabel once he gets a Super Bowl, then you can maybe say, think on your feet a little faster. But, hey, Doug will always have that to go back to. Like, you guys can do this, that, and the other. I have a Super Bowl to go back on. Like, that's his that, – you can never take that away from him. Now, Vrabel, Belichick, those guys, I mean, in that situation, that's something that you have talked out, though, maybe. Hey, we're gonna do twelve guys in the field to get an extra like timeout. Yeah, but that's something you think, that you know. But Doug in your Peterson head. doesn't know that kind of stuff. He might not. I don't yeah. know. And that's not the different. I'm not saying that if you don't, you can't be a great because there's plenty of great coaches that don't manipulate certain clock stuff like Vrabel did and like Bill Belichick does. But you know, it is the the difference in savviness is definitely there from Doug P and some of the other coaches. Now, Josh sends me this. 2014, the NFC South went 22 41 and one. The NFC South, that's Tampa, Carolina, that group. Well, how many ones won the division? Was that the 2014? That must have been, if memory serves, that was Carolina at 7, 8, and 1, I would guess, right? Yep, 7, 8, and 1. Carolina won the division that year. Did they win a playoff game? I think they won it because I remember that team. Yeah, they did. The Eagles that year, now memory serves, I believe the Eagles went 10 and 6 that year and did not get into the playoffs. That was Chip Kelly's second year. And I remember that year because the Eagles at 10 and 6 and Carolina at 7, 8, and 1. I remember saying Carolina at 7, 8, and 1 was a better team than Philadelphia at 10 and 6. They had won like six straight games to finish the year. They at one point were like 1, 7, like uh, they were like 2 and 6. And whatever they were, they ripped off like five straight or six straight games at the end of the year and not only won the division, they beat the Cardinals in the playoffs. So at seven, eight, and one, they got into the playoffs and won a game. And I remember like the Eagles are ten and six. They gotta change the way the playoffs are. A seven, eight, and one team losing record. And I said, No. Carolina at seven, eight, and one was better than the Eagles at ten and six that year. Well, maybe we'll be saying the same thing about this Eagles team. Well, about if the Eagles finish seven, eight, and one, they would probably, with that record, be better than someone with a better well, record. Let's say six. Because if they get in at seven, eight, and one, that means the rest of the way, what they're going? What are they now? One, four. So they they would have four. Uh, they would be six, four, six, and four over the the. 
the last part of the schedule here. Well, let's and that, say six we know wins, that schedule though. was painful. Six wins is probably more realistic. But even with six wins, if they're playing right at the right time, teams might be afraid to come into Philadelphia, even though, you know, the fan bases and the fans involved with the stadiums is a different beast this year. But people would be, if, if they're getting six wins, who knows? If they're playing right at the right time, you never know how it's going to end. It's well, all about again, that last if they, month. If they get to that record... Six, seven, eight, and one, or six, nine, and one, depending on which games they win and lose. If they win the last two, that means they'd be on a two-game win streak entering the playoffs. So you're probably playing some decent football. But that Carolina team, they got really hot. They were three, seven, and one after their bye. They went five and one to close that year out. I don't see that happening here. Well, that schedule down the stretch for Philly is just very daunting. You have that five-game stretch that. Somehow, I think you got to have to try to steal a game. Imagine if they steal all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, the Eagles released Jamon Brown and signed Jason Kroom out, according to the uh, injury report. Jack Driscoll will not play. Zach Ertz will not play. Malik Jackson will not play. Alshon Jeffrey will not play. Miles Sanders and Kayvon Wallace all will not play. They are all out for the game tomorrow night against the Giants. But... Likely in is Deshaun Jackson, Lane Johnson, uh, Avante Maddox, and Duke Riley. So all those guys coming back, some of those guys uh, not going to be involved. Get a little bit back, lose a couple of guys, and uh, you know things are starting to kind of trend in the direction that you're starting to get a little healthy. That's the good part. The bad part is, you know, you're still one four and one, and this this game on Thursday you have to have have to. The New York Giants can actually stop the run pretty well, and without Miles Sanders, I feel Doug Peterson is probably going to pull the trigger on, on the run game, and what I mean by that is stopping the run game. So you might see a game where Carson Wentz is dropping back a ton and trying to throw it. The Giants surprisingly have a pretty uh, okay run defense, but without Miles Sanders, I can't imagine a game where Doug Peterson's going to try and force the run game too heavily, right? Not without Sanders. No, I don't see them running the ball more than 18 to 20 times tomorrow night. So they're going to be pretty one-dimensional. I would think so. But they did well against Although, the Ravens and the Steelers one-dimensional. Let's go to this. Last year, now the Giants' defense, they're a little bit better this year. They are. They And Casey was on yesterday, and he talked about how right now they might be top 10 defense the way they're playing in the league. But go back to the game when Philly played the Giants last year in that regular season finale. If you remember that, Boston Scott had a monster game against I think he scored three touchdowns in that regular season finale. They beat the Giants 34-17 to in that game. And in that game, if you remember, Boston Scott had 19 carries for 54 yards and three touchdowns. He also caught four passes for 84 yards. So if I'm Doug Peterson, I might be watching the tape of the game I called last year, at least on how to get Boston Scott more involved into my offense. Sports Bash is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage. Need to know what it takes for a home loan to fit your budget and your family? Learn what Rocket can do for you. All right, Jason Fitz coming up in about 17 minutes from now. John Clayton, the professor, joins us at 3.30 here on the Sports Bash Plus Sports Bash Cash. I have another chance for you to win up to $10,000. How would that sound for the holiday season? Which, by the way, 
is slowly, or I should say quickly, approaching. Off-season. By no means are we a finished product. What off-season? It's football at 4, every day at 4 p.m. on the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free... One sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Stan Van Gundy is the new head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. To know, got Stan Van Gundy back. You might see Jeff Van Gundy back, which means two top broadcasting spots could be opened up. Both those guys were in the bubble. Jeff has been the lead guy for ESPN-ABC for a while. Stan got back into uh, the broadcasting game this year doing games. He ended up doing a lot of games for Turner and TNT. So Stan Van Gundy will get Zion Williamson. Interesting. Can't That's wait a to very that. interesting hire, man. Yeah, it is. Very old retread. I like Stan as a personality, though. He cracks me up. You ever follow him on Twitter? Oh, I see it all right. He mixes it up on Twitter. I wonder if he's going to keep mixing it up while he's the head coach of the Pelicans. Probably not. He just put out a tweet, by the way, saying that uh, he's excited and can't wait to get into the game. And, you know, he's uh, very appreciative that the New Orleans Pelicans. So he was the coach in what? Orlando, Miami, and Detroit? Yep. So this is his fourth job. We'll see how it plays out. Now, before we get into the five here, which you had an awful performance, week six of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week seven. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to earn a sign-up bonus up to $1,000 when using promo code 973. Don't forget about MMA and baseball. You can turn $1 into $100. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 973. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready for the fight this weekend? Yeah, of course. Are you kidding me? Khabibsman. All right. Yeah, he's going to dominate. I'm pumped. Uh, uh, he probably will. I'm watching I that documentary very right now. Good, oh, way. yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a good matchup, I know, because I'm an expert. <laughs> there you go. Take it from him. Yes. I watch a lot of UFC. All right. So. How much UFC have you con- consumed since you have now become a UFCsman? I would say maybe 15 or so pay-per-view events. Wow. I'm going back on my... <laughs> Because I'm such a UFCsman, I have UFC Fight Pass, so I can go what back and watch all. Transformation, man! Yeah. I'm watching the documentary on ESPN Plus right now about the Fight Island. I watched two episodes. I couldn't stop. It was like 3 a.m. I had to force myself to stop watching. Can't wait. That's just an unbelievable transformation. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I think I'm going to start breaking it down for the website on 97. Wow, ESPN. really? No sports talk with Broach. Think so. I'm, I need to make sure everybody understands in the beginning, like, hey, I am new to this, but I want to do it. So it, it might be a learning curve. Now, real quick, before we get to the five rewind, last night you talked about doing the video for the World Series, which you did, and you can see that reaction video on our website. Did it get the uh, traction you hoped? It didn't get the same as, because, you know, my YouTube channel is big on Philadelphia sports reactions. I react to every game. It definitely took a dip. But people enjoyed it, and I enjoyed it. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? I don't care about well, what happened. for a first time, though. Yeah, it, it was okay. It'll grow. Yeah, it, it was okay. But I, I enjoyed it so much, dissecting that game, that I don't even care what it gets. I just know that I loved it that much, and I'm going to continue to do it. So, all right. So there's that. There you go. But let's get into the five. The five was all about the game, and we'll get into the game more when we get to the headlines today. But, uh, but look, Cody Bellinger, 
He hit that dinger. That was crushed. Two-run bomb right after you walk Max Muncy. I'm thinking, uh-oh, that's going to come back to butt you, Glass, now. Boom, that bomb. You were wrong. You did not think he was going to hit a homer. Yep, I was wrong on that one. Now, here's one that it's kind of a technical difficulty, if you will. I don't think that's the right word. So I asked who was going to have more strikeouts. They both had eight. But you said Glass now. So you're technically wrong, right? You could have said it would be a tie. I guess so. Okay, so you're 0-2 to start. Over under, seven and a half runs. You went under. The Dodgers had that alone. Wendell got a hit. You didn't think Joey Wendell was going to get a hit. Shame on me. Shame on you. And then you picked the Rays. So you went 0 for 5. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was disappointed in the Rays. Now, the Rays went anti-Rays last night. I know, night. and it bothered me. You can't allow Glass now to go three times through the lineup. And then when you did, in the fifth inning, when you did, he walks Mookie Betts, and he walks Seager. And then somehow, with Yarbar still up in the bullpen, he pitches to Max Muncie. I was stunned with Kevin Cash. Yeah, it's weird for the, the one of the biggest spots in your season that he decides that he's going to go off script and keep glad. Now, I'm usually a fan of leaving the starter out there, but that's not what the Rays do. That's why I had a little bit of a problem of it last night. Right. You have an identity. Do what got you there. You took Snell out early. You took Morton out early. That's what you do. We're supposed to be saying, well, you should have kept him in there. You shouldn't be saying you kept him in there too long. You went against who you were as a team, and, and it failed. Now, last night, yep. Now, what do you got tonight? Who's uh? It's going to be Snell versus, uh, uh, starts with a G. Yeah, Gostin. Gostin. He was drafted in the 2016 draft. Snell's going tonight? Yes. Hmm. Uh, they need this one tonight because then all of a sudden you're going into, well, you got Morton after this, but if you're going past Morton, then you're going into bullpen games and all that stuff. Right. No, I, I think, you know, a lot of reaction right now is, oh, the Dodgers are going to crush him. Look what happened. Mookie Betts, who was stealing bases left and right and doing what he did, hitting the homer. He, he was awesome on the bases. The Rays are there for a reason. It was a good game. Kershaw, he shut some people up yesterday with that slider, getting people striking out, swinging, missing. The Rays are there for a reason, though. It's one game. It's one oh, game. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, they've been down. These series, both. Dodgers came back from 3-1. The Rays almost blew a 3-0 lead, so you can't say, oh, one, one game is the series. But I will say this. Why I am a Raysman and I want the Rays to win the series I did bet Mookie Betts at plus 1,500 to win the MVP, which means I kind of need the Dodgers to win this thing. That's true. That's true. Now, Goslin, though, they're probably going to be ready with that bullpen. I'm sure they'll have a quick trigger on Goslin tonight. Jason Fitz will join us on the other side. We'll get his take on what's happening in the NFL as the Eagles get ready for the Giants. And I know a lot of people think that it's a very important game for Philly. Got to win it. Got to have it. If you want any ideas of winning the NFC East, got to have this one. And you can listen to the game right here tomorrow night on 97.3 ESPN. Here is your Sports Bash Cash code word, by the way. The word is NECK, N-E-C-K, NECK. Enter it now.